We're talking storms this hour. We started in Florida where Hurricane Ian continues to do all kinds of damage. We're going to head north now to Newfoundland where they're assessing the damage from post-tropical storm Fiona. The prime minister was in Porto Basque. We'll get to our question first, though. We're talking about this dog import ban that came into effect today, halting rescues from 100 countries. It is World Rabies Day. That's why uh, it was put into effect today, the 28th. Uh, So this means the dog rescues from Africa, Central and South America, Asia, the Middle East, Eastern Europe, all banned to try to prevent uh, to protect Canada against rabies. Uh, animal rights groups are saying, well, you know, the problem is there was no consultation on this. A complete ban is not justified. No one else is doing this. The Americans had a ban in for a while. Let me know what you think. Betty in Vancouver sent uh, many reasons why she is in favor of it, uh, not least of which is that uh, she feels that it's just simply a good idea that uh, that a lot of these, uh, we don't know where a lot of these rescues come from and that uh, there's an industry there that she doesn't like or doesn't worries about. Uh, to paraphrase, Betty, I apologize. Uh, let me know what you think. 877-399-9898 is the text line. Let me know if you think it's a good idea. Should we be banning rescues from, from 100 countries around the world in order to protect against rabies in this country? Uh, we'll hear from Camille Lapchuk a little later in the show uh, about why it's a bad idea, but let me know what you think. Well, one of the hardest hit areas by post-tropical storm Fiona was Porto Basque on the southwestern tip of Newfoundland. It destroyed about 100 homes there, dragging some of them out to sea. Uh, there was record-breaking storm surges. I'm sure you've seen the pictures. Well, the Prime Minister was in that community today to see firsthand the collapsed houses and the heaps of debris left behind. Justin Trudeau again committed the government to helping residents there in the days, weeks, and months to come. He confirmed Ottawa will match donations to a Red Cross disaster relief fund, which has already collected $10 million for people affected by the storm. He says the government knows that with winter coming, people are going to need longer-term solutions. The Premier uh, announced a $30 million package. The federal government will be part of that. Uh, We're going to continue to step up as necessary. The one thing that we've seen already is the level of strength of community as people have been there to support each other. Uh, The federal government, the provincial government, municipal leadership, uh, we're all going to be working together to make sure that people uh, get settled by winter. The Prime Minister in Porto Basque, Newfoundland today. Well, this is the time of week where we check in with a Canadian journalist to see what they've been covering. It's also World Press Freedom Day. So we thought we'd take you to Porto Basque and the community newspaper there known as Wreckhouse Press or Workhouse Press would be more like it this past week. And having the Prime Minister in town met yet another busy day for Rene Roy. He's the editor-in-chief of Wreckhouse Press, who's been on the front lines of this international story for days now, and he joins me now. Thanks so much for your time. My pleasure. Thank you. What a whirlwind. I mean, if, uh, I, just, if you could take me back to the to just the lead up and the night. I mean, you were busy trying to cover stuff, I'm sure, and trying to get word out to the people in the community. At the same time, you must have been had your own stuff to worry about, your own property and your own love. Very ones. much. Very much. Yeah. Um, it uh, it came on us a lot more rapid than I think anybody expected. And I know we all knew it was going to come when it came. Uh, but when I say more rapid, I think we didn't grasp the speed at which it was going to accelerate into what it became. Uh, It was really astounding. Uh, And trying to report on that and get out information about the evacuation here in my neighborhood, um, trying to get information out about uh, emergency crews and uh, the destruction of homes down on the street, which is, you know, it's, it's a 90 second walk from my home. Uh, You know, you're trying to remain a little, separated but at the same time you 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 know what's happening and you know these people down there so it was an extreme challenge 
Yeah, these are your friends and your neighbors, right? This you're, this is not reporting in some place where you don't know anyone. This is this is all very personal. It's a tough job. Absolutely. It uh, there are moments like I uh, said in an, a previous interview where uh, you know a bit of neutrality or a bit of distance from a story can make the story more poignant, but at the same time, a bit of closeness and a bit of involvement in the story that you're reporting can do the exact same thing. So. It's a matter of trying to figure out where you want to be with that. And there are moments that, uh, you know, that are easier than others. Tell me about Friday night into Saturday morning or early Saturday morning in your case, I would imagine. Yeah, very much early. Uh, um, the wind kept accelerating. And uh, I know you hear people talking about uh, tornadoes and hurricanes and how the wind is uh, a constant element that's, that's always going. Uh, but until you're in that kind of thing where there is just an absolute roar in your house or in your ear or in the background for 12 hours, uh, very much preys on your nerves. And uh, when it began, you know, at, at four or five in the morning or three or four or five, I, I truly don't know, uh, none of us were asleep. Um, my sister, my mother, um, none of us could sleep. And uh, and the whole world began crashing at around 7 o'clock in the morning. We saw the images here of the damage. I mean, I think everyone's seen the images of the damage now, but what was it like to be right there? You must have at some point decided you had to go look at what was happening. Um, when I heard the multi multitude of sirens coming down the road, um, this is such a small community that based, and of course, I used to be a first responder here, Based on the sirens and the location and where it's coming from, you, you can tell where the, where the emergency vehicles are going. And I knew where they were going, right down here. So, of course, I got out and uh, I went to see if I needed to be helping on an emergency basis or if there was a story to be had. And, uh, yeah, uh, things took an immediate turn for from, from wanting to help to abject horror. Uh, you know, people were screaming that a building was gone. People were gone because at that time it was it was just sheer madness. So nobody knew anything at that point. This this was seconds old, um, and I, I attempted to get down to to get a look at it, and and it was simply too unsafe. The entire street was, uh, I, I would say, half a foot underwater. Um, there was debris everywhere. It was impossible to to stand or hear anything beyond, as I described, that incessant roar. Um, and uh, at that point, I decided the best recourse for me to, to not be in any danger was to get the hell out of the way. You must have, I mean, it would be hard to imagine what it must have been like when you then came back out to see what exactly had happened. Um, we came out. Uh, my mother, my sister, and I came out. Uh, we, we spent some time in the office and homes here. And uh, when we came out, we could, uh, the mist and the sea, the salt spray was such that it, it stung your eyes constantly. Um, but we could see well enough to see a blue house further down, uh, you know, just a little approximate view from our home. And uh, when we realized how badly damaged that was, uh, I don't recall if it was me or my sister who took the photo, but we took a photo of that and uh, we began to hear a high-pitched squeal, like a, a consistent whistle. And it occurred to me that it was the emergency broadcast system on the 
uh, fire uh, fire truck, the, the uh, emergency rescue truck. And at that point, I heard that it was mandatory evacuation, um, pack a bag and, and go. So and that's, that's what you what did. We did. That's what we did. Didn't even blink. Uh, well, I went around to my neighbors here. Um, I live on a dead end street and I went around to uh, all of my neighbors and indicated that this was not a mandatory evacuation. Yeah, pack a bag. You need to leave right away. How soon before you were able to come back? Uh, we evacuated approximately, in fact, actually, it was uh, 22 minutes after 10 on Saturday morning, uh, almost at the sheer height of the storm. And uh, we were able to return at, I believe it was 2.30 Sunday afternoon. We uh, we were only 10 minutes away. We stayed at my cousin Sharon's home. Um, she in a more elevated position. It was a much safer location than what we had here in our, uh, in our open home, open to the road kind of thing. I would imagine that already people were, were looking. I mean, I know information travels quickly in, in a smaller town, but people must have already been looking to you to some extent to try to figure out what the bigger picture was. Did, did you get to work right away? Uh, we were, as soon as we were up at, uh, as I say, between 6 and 7 o'clock when that that happened, uh, we began tweeting information immediately. Um, Wi-Fi on a good day in some areas of town here is uh, almost there. Uh on this day, it was almost nothing. So uh, getting information out was challenging. We weren't able to upload any videos. Photographs were taking almost five to eight minutes to upload. It was it was very, very difficult. Uh, but we were tweeting the whole time. Uh, we actually did a, uh, a video of us evacuating, driving along the uh, the harbor, the main harbor, past the Marine Atlantic ferries and, and getting to a safe location. We actually had to go around the entire town because... The low-lying street that would have taken us directly to my cousin's home was underwater and had a boat and a shed in the middle of it. So we had to take a 10-minute drive to go three minutes away. I'm speaking with Rene Roy. He's the uh, editor-in-chief of Wreckhouse Press in Porto Basque in Newfoundland. He's telling us about uh, both being a reporter and uh, a survivor of uh, of post-tropical storm Fiona all at once. Um, when we come back, we'll talk about just the importance of community news, uh, the, the service you provide, the response uh, to your reporting, as well as it hasn't been any less busy the last five days. You had the prime minister in town. We'll get to that after this. Rene Roy is with us this half hour. He's the editor-in-chief of Wreckhouse Press, uh, the local paper in Porto Basque, a, t- a town and name that all, most of us will know now, given the destruction there from uh, post-tropical storm Fiona over the weekend, and now the attempts to rebuild the people who've been in and out of that community. The prime minister was there today. I mean, you've been working nonstop since Saturday morning, more or less. Yes, that's that's about accurate, but uh, I'm far from the only one that's uh, doing this. You know, it's it's myself, my sister, who are the primary operators and owners of the paper and the uh, the company. But we have an outstanding journalist. Uh, she's not on location. She uh, she works remotely from her home, two hours up the uh, the highway in a place called Stephenville and Kippins. Um, she's top shelf. Uh, couldn't be happier with her. But being on the ground and getting the information and and attending these uh, press conferences and news releases, uh, earning information, gaining photographs, that is falling to us, no question. And of course, the interviews and the requests for media attention. Um, 
yeah, it's it's been a, it's been a long week. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. What's it been like to to try to cover this story and be part of this story all at once? I mean, these again, these are your neighbors. These are people you know. These are friends, obviously relatives, people that you've spent a lifetime with. What's it like to try to uh, cover cover the story for your paper as well? You, I, I imagine you probably have to be very careful with what it is you talk about and the information you're providing. Make sure it's correct because there's a lot of eyes on you. Well, that's the thing. Um, you know, before the winds were down, um, we were receiving, pardon me, we were getting um, requests for information from um, local and provincial radio stations, um, the CBC, uh, Global Television, because they were aware due to Hurricane Eagle or uh, the, the weather event we had last year um, that, uh, you know, we were an entity here. So we began to try and get information out there so that people were aware of how incredibly serious this weather was here. This was this was like a 15, you know, a 12 or 14 hour bomb that went off and it just kept going off and it kept going off. And we were the only ones here. Uh, we did have a couple of meteorologists. Uh, we had a uh, Newfoundland television journalist here as well. But if you don't have television or satellite or power, this is what you got. So uh, almost all of our uh, information was being provided by Twitter and on our Facebook feed. Um, Twitter seemed to be the one where everybody went. Um, we took videos, uh, we took photographs, we shared information about emergency warming centers, evacuations. And at the same time, we were trying to give interviews and we were trying to you know, let people like you know you know what it was like here, and still get information out for the people that were still in danger. It was a, it was an extreme challenge, but I, I like to think that my crew and myself, uh, at least did, did well by the town. What's it been like in terms of access, just trying to do your job? I know there have been a lot of politicians in and out of your community in the past couple of days. The prime minister was there today. How has that been to have so many people converge on the town and still try to tell a story? Are you getting the information that you feel you need? that you feel you need to share yeah i am um being the local uh journalist organization here the local media here there is no one else uh in this you know area besides us well apart from last you know the last week uh but you know we have unfettered access to um media and press conferences and telephone calls um we are receiving information from all the entities uh, we're receiving. If, if we don't get the information, we get the phone number where we can get that information. Um, so I do feel that we're being amply informed and uh, given enough access so that we can properly do our jobs. Now that yeah, said, yeah. there are still areas that are just far too dangerous to sensibly go to. Um, and, you know, there are, there are still a couple of spots that I haven't been to yet. I simply haven't had the uh, the opportunity to go there. And hopefully, if things settle down tomorrow, uh, then I will be able to get there. But, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's just going to be a long week again. We just published our paper yesterday, and I've got to lay it out and prepare to publish again on Monday. So that wow. means tomorrow and the next day and the next day I print. You know, I know you've been doing this for, for quite a while. When you look at this, what's happened and, and where you've been and the kind of information you provided, what does it tell you about the value of what it is that you do in, in downtimes, not just now, but for community media in a much broader context? I think there is 
and I've heard the term, I'm sure you might have as well, uh, a news desert in Newfoundland. And it's vast. Most of the information people are getting is from the internet or it's from word of mouth from your friend and so on. But when you look on a Facebook group and you read information, you have absolutely no idea about the credibility of that source. You don't know if you know they're just out there to raise a stink or they're telling the truth. So what we try to do is we try to get behind that information and find out, hey, is this person telling the truth about this truck or that house or this and that? And lending that credibility to the citizens and the, the residents of the community not only provides everybody with the right information, but it makes that person, that that resident and their reputation more solidified. So not only are we informing, but we're also trying to help the, the community as well so that they know who the trusted sources are. Where do you go from here with this story? What are you looking at in the next few days, weeks? Well, I'm going to begin by saying I hope we all get a bit of rest around here. <laughs> yeah. uh, it's It's been a really long week. I know our mayor is beyond exhausted. Uh, I mean, he's been an absolute unit. Uh, super impressed with him. Um, you know, all of our council, my staff, uh, myself, everybody's tired. Everybody's anguished and everybody's stressed. And it's a it's just been a hell of a week, obviously. Uh, where do we go from here? Um, you know, we go wherever the assistance and the government and the people want to go. Like, you know, I, where they want to take us, I should say. I apologize. Yeah. You know, the government is going to provide money and opportunity for these people to rebuild their homes. If these people choose not to rebuild down there, and I got to say, I, I think 90% will not rebuild there. This was just too much. And these are people that have never left their home for a storm, ever. And now they don't want to go back at all. That is a profound shift in the mentality of this town. And as for where we go from here, I think, like myself, I am safe and my home is untouched and my mother's home is untouched. I'll stay because that's what... That, that's what I need to do. Um, for the people that have had this incredible suffering and this incredible devastation in their lives, I can't speak to them or for them. Or me. I, I can't speak on their behalf, but I can say that the mentality has profoundly shifted about having a home on the water in Florida. It's, it's palpable. The apprehension is, is palpable now. Runei Roy, uh, fantastic work. Thank you so much for talking to me tonight. I truly appreciate it. It's been my pleasure. Thank you for having me on. For most of us, crime is something we see on the news. We never think it could happen to us until it does. Loved ones are gone. And for the survivors, the scars will never heal. I'm Nancy Hickst, a senior crime reporter for Global News. And on this season of Crime Beat, I'll take you inside some of the most serious crime stories I've covered. Season six of Crime Beat is available now on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, and all podcast platforms. <laughs>